Good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's also April Fools. You know, a lot of the world a lot of the world does not believe in the resurrection. Uh, a lot of the world thinks that the resurrection is a scam. And uh, that we are, in fact, April Fools for believing in one. Um, if you received in the mail on very nice stationery, uh, maybe like a law firm stationery, and in the letter it read that you've inherited several million dollars from a relative that you have not met yet. Um, you know, there's so many scams nowadays. There's a million scams, you know, every day. Uh, you know, I've been taken advantage of a couple times with um, <laughs> clicking some emails I, you know, shouldn't have about uh, that I thought were real and getting spam and infecting the church and things like that. <laughs> we'll talk about that at different times. It's pretty embarrassing. Um, but if you got this letter, this stationery, and said you had inherited this million dollars, you'd probably think it was a scam. But you'd also probably give them a call. Uh, you'd probably just want to make sure, you know, because it's too much. The value is too much not to at least check it out. Even though you might think, well, this isn't exactly, I don't think this is real. You know, what we're talking about with the resurrection is incredible, and we cannot gloss over that fact. This is a person who is claimed to be raised from the dead. Now, think about that. That is amazing. And we can think, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I, I believe it, I believe it. But I think it's actually really good that we stop for a second and really examine the evidence together, okay? That if we do not have a faith, that is shot through with rationale, with evidence, I don't believe that we will be able to stand firm throughout the ups and downs of, of life. Yeah. That we actually need to take a good, hard look at this um, because life will get difficult, things won't go your way, and then uh, it, it will matter whether or not you believe in what we're talking about this morning. And, and this is, in fact, the day. Uh, and we're going to dive into that in, in a moment. I do want to share a bit of, of good news um, actually, uh, our sister church in Storrs, Connecticut, had a baptism this week. Uh, the women's basketball team on the left is Azaree Stevens. She was converted in the Triangle Church as a team. And uh, she converted her teammate, who got baptized this past Sunday, Gabby Williams. And uh, two, I think two or three more uh, uh, student athletes are studying the Bible on the basketball team. Uh, now, had Gabby not gotten baptized, she would have taken the loss harder, I think, this past weekend. Um, but now she has a truer treasure. Amen. Um, but I do want to share this good news. So we got a chance to watch and, and, and you know, as we, as we really believe in not just celebrating this as Charlottesville, but celebrating today as uh, really w- with brothers and sisters all over the world. And so I did think this was a great chance to expand our scope a bit and to celebrate too, uh, even to watch these women. As difficult as it is to, I mean, a lot of you know, You've been athletes, but to be a student and a disciple and an athlete is incredible. And to be able to, to make that decision and still say Jesus is Lord. Uh, and let's celebrate that. Uh, it's pretty exciting. And also, too, for us to go to UVA, go to JMU, to not shy away from people who look like they may or may not have it all together. You know, this team was undefeated. They've lost like four times in six years or something. Um, but, but still, you know, they need Jesus. And so it's really cool, really exciting, good news. Just wanted to pass that on. We had our own baptism. has already been mentioned. Dwayne Washington got baptized yesterday. Um, so a lot of good things have been happening. We want to praise God for these things. Uh, this is a picture of the garden tomb. Now, we don't know for sure where Jesus was buried. Um, but it seems like this one is the most likely. 
doesn't really matter, but it does fit the description. It's got the, uh, it's got the little hole that, that John would have peered in, Mary would have peered in. Um, it says they had to bend down to get in, um, and it has the little um, ramp for the stone to be put into place. And it's inside Jerusalem, uh, or rather, uh, it's right next to where Jesus was crucified, um, at the place of the skull, uh, which we've been to, by the way. It's now a bus station, uh, which is interesting. Um, but uh, that's the way the world deals with, I think, Jesus. Um, there's actually a sign above where Jesus was crucified in Arabic that says, um, God has no son, um, and he is not God. So, obviously very much in your face there in Jerusalem. Um, but it was cool to go here. We actually got in a long line, uh, really, to see nothing. Um, it's, it's the longest line ever to make sure that no one is really there. Um, and so, it was, in fact, true. No one was inside the tomb. Um, but it was really cool to go. The title of my lesson this morning is The Resurrection of the Son of God. John chapter 20, we're going to read here, and we're going to take a good hard look at this together, okay? Now, we can't look at all the evidence this morning, but we're going to have a couple pieces to take a good hard look at so that we can be prepared to move forward on this one. Because is this, in fact, he is risen, or is this, in fact, April Fool's? Let's take a good hard look together. John chapter 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still very dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started running for the tomb. Both were running, but one disciple outran Peter. The other disciple outran Peter. He's faster and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. <coughs> he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw Jesus... Or, sorry, he saw and believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to be uh, risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated there, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father, to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I have a few points this morning. My first point is that faith is rational. Faith is rational. Well, notice what, what's going on here. So Mary, actually all of the gospel accounts 
agree on this one thing, that on the, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, there's a little uh, resonance of Genesis 1 there. The, the beginning, while it was still dark, right, get that? They, these women appear. And in every case, it's women. Now, that's a problem because if you're trying to start a fake religion, the last people you want to start that religion are women. Now, I'm not a misogynist. I just, at the time, in Jewish court of law, a woman's testimony did not count for anything. You needed two men, uh, even pagan, even Greeks. Uh, and I know that, you know, this, this is how they thought. In fact, there was a writer named Celsus in the second century who was against Christianity. And he wrote a book about how Christianity wasn't true. And his main point was this. How can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? I know that, that hurts us, especially as Charlotte's villains. We don't like that, Charlotte's villains. You know, that, that rubs, rubs us the wrong way. But this was real. This was real. If you were going to start a fake religion, you didn't choose a woman to, to, to start spreading the rumor or to start planting the seeds of lies. You just didn't do it. It, it would have it inspired or, or, or brought on too much opposition. You wouldn't have wanted it. You probably would have chosen a man of upstanding character, right, a, a leader in the community to go ahead and start that. This is probably the greatest piece of evidence that we have, that this is not, in fact, a lie. Now, if you don't really want to go and say it's a resurrection, well, we know something incredible happened. Something amazing happened. There were no debates that happened. So we have ancient texts of what people believe about resurrection. Before Jesus, nobody believed in resurrection. And I mean nobody. We have almost nothing of extant te- ancient texts on resurrection. Like the closest we have is like Homer in his, the Iliad. Uh, Achilles talks to Patroclus after Patroclus dies and becomes a spirit. But even in that situation, Patroclus is a spirit and it's a fictional story. So it's like even in fiction... Before Jesus, there's no resurrection. We have like spirits, maybe. The Greeks believed that the soul was immortal, but the body was evil. The soul may keep, keep going on. But to have a resurrected body? This, this, this was never, ever, ever the case. This was never in play for anyone. And they knew that this was not a possibility. They knew that there was no chance for this. You know, I have a question. How come they're so slow to understand? Jesus said that he was going to rise from the dead a ton. Even if you just read the Gospels, he mentions it a lot. He tells Mary a lot. And there they are, the third day after Jesus has been crucified, and they don't get it. Look at them. It says they're trying to put it together. The Greek word for when they walk, when John and Peter walk in there, it's the word to see is this idea. They're, They're trying to put it all together. And they're looking at it, and they're going, okay, stone's been moved. So it must have been maybe several people. That's a very heavy stone. Um, there were guards. Where, the, where are the guards? Why weren't they? Didn't they stop it? If it's grave robbers, why didn't they take the fine linens and the spices in the linens? That's what you would have taken. Also, if they're grave robbers, why grave robbers? Why did they take the body away naked? Uh, Jews would never have disrespected a body like that. And also, you're leaving the money behind. Why take the body but not the, 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 the you know the clothes? And why if why if if he left or he was stolen? Why is it neatly folded? Why are all the linens neatly folded? It says the headcloth was rolled up where it had been. What? They're, and they're looking at it. They're going, what, what are the possibilities here? What could it be? And they're scratching their heads. And then what does it say? Peter and John went home. <laughs> right? <laughs> Peter and John, they went there and they saw the linen and they remembered what he said. And they, no, it says 
John gives himself a little credit. He goes, I believed. I didn't, I didn't quite get it, but I believe. I believe something happened, you know. He was trying to give himself a little bit of a little, a little help there, a little credit. But they don't really get it. They go home. They don't understand. Why? Jesus said it a hundred times. Jesus said things like this, you know, in John 12, uh, verse 27. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Whoever serves me must follow me. Now, I'm not super smart, but I get the sense from there, somebody's got to die. And if he dies, they'll bear much fruit. And Jesus is going to have to do this thing first. right, we can deduce these things, right? And uh, the seed's going to have to be transformed. It's going to have to die. It's going to have to change. Uh, transformation, Jesus goes first, bear much fruit, right? I think we could all, we could all probably deduce that if we, had, if we read that. But Jesus, this is a little, you know, kind of uh, uh, murky, but there are sometimes Jesus says, I'm literally going to die. They're going to kill me. He's very clear about this. So why is it that they can't, with all the evidence and Jesus, Jesus's words over and over and over again, how come they can't do it? Why can't they come to faith? Why can't they believe? Why can't they get there? And I think it, it, it leads to the next point, which is that faith is impossible. Now, Drew, you just told me faith is rational. You told me to examine the evidence. You told me to really stack it up and view it. We can, be, we can look at the logic. We can do the whole scientific method. And we can figure it out together. I did. You know, faith does take a lot of rationale. They had to, they had to sort through it. They had to wrestle with it. We have to wrestle with it. We have to view the evidence. We have to view the evidence to listen. The fact that in every account we have Women starting. And I want to ask you that. Why do you think God chose women? Why did he choose not just women, but Mary Magdalene, who is a, has a history of having a host of demons? She has a history of being a, she's a formal men, mental patient. Uh, and if you're, if, you, if you're a demoniac, uh, you know, if you have a host of demons in the Bible, what we see is you, you can't speak. You foam with the mouth. You cut yourself. Um, you have seizures. Um, you're suicidal. I mean, this is, this is Mary. This is not the person to start a new religion. And it's not like we have debates, like not a lot. Of, almost no Jews believed in a resurrection. The Pharisees did. They're kind of a, a smaller sect. The Pharisees, they had that going for them, by the way. So we can hate on the Pharisees, but good on you there. So the Pharisees believed in a resurrection, but not like this. They believed in like a, a distant end of time resurrection. Remember when Jesus, uh, he, he raises Lazarus from the dead and he tells Mary that I'm going to do this. And what does Mary say in John 10? She goes, I know that he's going to rise on the last day. Even, Mary, even Martha's like, I know, I know about the last day thing. But Jesus is saying, no, no, he's going to come out now. He's going to come out now with the same body. He's going to come out, right? That no one believed in a resurrection. And isn't it cool that within history, whenever we see a drastic change in a religion or a faith, there's usually like a lot of texts about our decisions or councils that have to be formed to like change their mind. We have apparently, ostensibly, an overnight belief in a in a middle time resurrection with, from, from Judaism, from Judaism to Christianity. How does that happen? And how does it happen with Mary Magdalene at the front uh, leading the charge? How is she going to be like, listen, if this just happened, can you imagine the people going, look at this woman. I'm not going to believe her. You know what she used to be? You know what she's done? And uh, by the way, also, she's a woman. I don't care if you have three, four, five women. doesn't count. You cannot substantiate this in court. This is the reality of what, of what they face. Why does God choose her to be the first 
to interact with the risen Christ. Why does he do this? We talked about faith being rational, but faith is also impossible. A lot of us, we can be on one side of the spectrum. None of us can come to faith without outside intervention or help. We need to interact with the risen Jesus. We need that. We need Christ to come into our lives because we can't get there on our own. And some of us are on one side or the other. You know, some of us think, you know what? I'm going to gain my faith by just being really loyal. I'm going to gain faith by studying it out. I'm going to gain faith by having a great track record. And if someone asks me how I'm doing in my faith or my walk, I'm going to say good because I've been to church and I've been reading my Bible and I've been inviting other people to study the Bible. So you know what? That informs my decision that I'm quite good and my faith is quite strong because of look at all the things I've done and look at how consistent I've been. That can be us on one side. The other side is the person who says faith is impossible and you can never, ever, ever be right with God. I understand that there's a lot of commands in here, but they're all really ideals and we can really just kind of do our best. But doing my best really just means coming to church on Easter. And I won't really try. Otherwise, I'm just going to say religious things like glory to God and peace be with you. And that'll get me by long enough. But I'm not going to actually do anything because I just feel hopeless. I can't do it. It's, it's hopeless. It's impossible. I can't get there. So why even try? Everyone's going to judge me. Everyone's going to come down on me. I'm done. We can say, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. We can be apathetic. Who, and a lot of us, a lot of people are apathetic. You can never really know. So just let's just all live the way we want to live. And we, all of us fall on one side of that spectrum. And when we talk about what it means to really follow God, what it means to really follow Jesus, and the disciples are there trying to put it together in their heads, and they have all the evidence before their eyes, they still fall short. And we can be, we're in the same boat. We can have all the evidence we, you know, all the evidence they had, but still, they, we, they don't get it. And a part of that is, and this is where I think it re- the, the, the rubber really meets the road, is as Mary's looking for Jesus, who's she looking for? She's looking for a dead Jesus. Jesus uh, Mary's looking for a dead Jesus. She's looking for Jesus, but she's looking for the wrong kind of Jesus. Mary shows up at the tomb with this incredible heart, this passionate heart. The guys go home. They have the evidence. They leave. Mary stays at the tomb to weep. And she's, she's emotional and she's distraught and she's grieving. And she's asking questions and she doesn't know, but she's trying to piece it together. She sees Jesus and thinks he's the gardener because that's the only thing that makes sense. Maybe it's the gardener and maybe he had to remove him because it's Passover weekend. Just bring him back, gardener. Bring him. Tell me where he is. Tell me where Jesus is. If you can see that she loved him. But as, as, as amazing as her love for Christ was, and as passionate as Mary was, her estimation of Christ still fell far too short. She still was looking for a dead Jesus. And I think this is where we begin to see it. Resurrection was not possible. And they knew it. So when Jesus said, every time Jesus said, I'm going to rise from the dead, they, they must have thought, what's he mean by that? Because he's talking about you know, parables and stories. This must be a parable. This must be some kind of hidden meaning because he can't rise from the dead. He can't. No one has done that and no one will do that. It did not fit their paradigm. It did not fit their their possibilities of who Jesus was. And so when it really came down to it, they said, I don't know. They left. Her estimation of Christ was still far too low. You know, I want to ask us this morning, what's your estimation of Christ? How do you view him? Is he a good teacher? Is he an ethical founder of a nice religion? That if you do well enough and try hard enough, you can find a little peace in this world. You know, 
Christianity is not like the other religions. It's, it's very unique. Um, Jesus, that's why we talked about in the beginning this, this letter that's too much at stake from the lawyer, right? We're talking about bodily recreation, bodily renewal. All of creation itself will be redeemed and we will get to live in new bodies with those who are called by God righteous for all time. And this whole idea of going to heaven thing, it's, it's not super biblical. But what we do know is that we will be called to rise from the dead. We will come back. And you know what? Jesus will go first and we'll follow suit. Now, that sounds pretty awesome. I don't quite understand all of it. And that sounds great. All other religions say is follow these commands for a while and then we can promise you some kind of inner peace. Do these things and then you'll be loved. Do these things and then you'll be embraced. Do this, do that. Find inner peace, and then you'll be able to be just fine. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't do that. And this encapsulates everything that it means to be a Christian. This is the greatest day that there is all year. This is the most important moment. And if we can't come to a foundation on the resurrection, all hope is lost. What are we doing here? We're just following an ethical teacher, a good guy. And we're kind of hoping for the best. But this, this has to be either true or it has to be false. And if we can come to a firm conviction on that, we can get there. What evidence would you need? What evidence would you need to come to a firm conviction on this? It's probably the same evidence that they needed. You know, there's this fallacy that we think of. Uh, it's called um, chronological snobbery, where we think that because we live in 2018, those who lived in tw- 2008 were not as smart. Some of you are like, yeah, right, man. How about those who lived in 1978? You're like, people can think, oh, they didn't know as much as we know. They didn't have what we have, man. We got social media. We got, we have stuff now. And there's this thought that we're smarter now than, than more than people who came before us. And we do the same thing with ancient people. We say they're probably really gullible. They're not as well uh, trained in, you know, the scientific method. They don't, they're not as literate. They haven't read as much as we do. They probably haven't read that Jesus, the Christians just copied pretty popular ideas of resurrection and made it their own. And all of Christianity is just fake. No, there's nothing. I'm reading an 896 page book on it. That is just ancient texts before Jesus about resurrection. There is nothing that we have that talks about the reality of resurrection the way that Jesus brings it here. They would have needed probably exactly what you need in terms of evidence. They would have needed to see, to experience, to taste, to touch what you would in order to come to faith. What's your estimation of Jesus? How have you been trying to gain faith? Have you been apathetic? Have you given up? Have you said it's impossible? I can't do it. Shouldn't even try. Are you really confident, maybe arrogant about your faith because you're from a certain denomination or because you said some sentence a few years ago about how much you believe or because you got baptized and now because you got baptized, you are good does not save you. We cannot be overly arrogant because we're good and they're not. That's not what this is about. We are missing what Jesus came to do and it is encapsulated in this interaction with Mary. How great is this interaction? She's there. She sees two men. She asks them, you know, they ask her, why are you crying? You know, Jesus comes in. She sees him, but she doesn't recognize him. So get this. It is possible to be in the presence of the risen Christ and not recognize him. Even though she had been with him for years. She didn't recognize him until when? He says her name. And the way it's written is, 
she hears the way he says her name and she recognizes him. That's what does it. Jesus says her name. That is what makes her go. That's what takes the scales from the eyes. That's what makes her come to believe. It's not all the evidence by itself, though it helps. It's not just, oh, I've been following, I've been doing good. It's not just throwing her hands up in the air, but it's actually interacting with the risen Christ. And that is what Jesus does. Now, it reminds us probably of another scripture, John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I call them and they recognize me when I call their name, by how I say their name. That's how they'll know me. What does that mean? It means Jesus didn't come to have you follow some list of rules so that you can be okay and so that you can go to heaven one day and be happy. Don't believe that garbage. It is not biblical. It is not Christ-like. It is not Christian. Right? But Jesus comes. Why? It's personal. He wants to know you. He wants to interact with you. Have you heard Jesus call your name? Would you recognize when Jesus calls your name, what that would sound like? Have you been in the presence of Christ? And some of you might say, what does that mean? I don't get it. How do we do that? You know, Jesus doesn't come to her and say, what is wrong with you? I told you so many times, Mary, we've been over this. I am going to die and be raised on the third day. And here you are coming in like you don't know what the plan is. He doesn't do it. He, he asks her questions. You know, psychologists say one of the best ways to help somebody uh, who, who probably, you know, to, to come to a decision of change is to not just tell them, but to ask them questions so they can discover it for themselves. And so it can come from within. And so Jesus comes in and doesn't say, it's me. Right? He asks her questions. What are you doing here? Why are you crying? What's going on? How are you doing? Jesus comes in with questions. He cares about her. And then he says her name. And notice he doesn't say, Miss Magdalene. He says, Mary. Mary, I know you. You know me. It's not about all these things the world says. At the end of the day, faith is rational. Faith is impossible. But faith is also personal. Faith has got to be personal. It mattered. You don't think it was personal to Jesus? What, just a few days before this, when he was deciding whether he wanted to die for people, you think it was just, I'll die for everyone? Or do you think it was, I'm going to die for Mary. I'm going to die for Peter. I'm going to die for Christian Brooks. I'm going to die for Jesse Lee. I'm going to die for Carl Grubb. I'm going to die for you. And she misses it. She doesn't get it. She's still slow in all her great passionate love. Jesus is merciful. He's not there saying, you didn't follow the rules, so now you don't get to go to heaven. He's not saying that. He's there. And when he says Mary, I think he says something like this. I think he says, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the dead founder of an ethical religion. I'm your personal, living, breathing Savior. I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere. Despite your failures, despite your past, despite your struggles, despite how now you still don't quite get it. Mary, I'm here. And by the way, it sounds like she squeezes him really hard because he's like, you got to back off a little bit. Um, I'm not quite ascended, so you can't squeeze so hard, Mary. But you can imagine she's, you know, probably as you would too, so excited. And she's squeezing him to death again. And he can't. Anyway, sorry. Didn't mean that to be a pun. 
But she's squeezing him to death, right? But Mary was grief-stricken and panicking. She was looking for a dead Jesus. But Jesus comes. He's merciful. He's patient. And he says her name. He says, Mary, I'm here. The good shepherd will call us by our names. And I want to close out with the very first question we asked. Why does Jesus choose Mary of all people? She's the first person to encounter the risen Christ. Essentially, she's the first Christian in that sense, that she gets to interact with Jesus. Before Peter, on this rock I'll build my church. Before Mr. Beloved One, okay, John, who won't even use his own name when he writes about himself. Okay? Not them, they're home. Who spent more time with Jesus? They did probably. Who knew more about Jesus? They did probably. Who were the leaders? They were. Who were the men? They were. But Jesus wants us to understand and make it very clear. This is not about pedigree. This is not about your track record. This is not about loyalty. This is not about us coming, us going to him. It is about him coming to us. She did not find him. He found her. This is not about you, church. This is not about you. And that's the first thing we want to do, right? When we study the Bible, we want to say, I can't do it. I can't live up to this. Or, my personal favorite, I would, but my wife's horrible. I would, but my husband can't make it happen. My, my, my kids are, are just crazy. If I had more money, maybe I could. You guys all have money. I don't have money. You guys are all successful. I'm not. If you were brought up in the family I was brought up into. And we make the mistake of making it about ourselves. And we make the mistake of making all of this about ourselves. And today's about Jesus. Today's not about us. That's why the decision to come to baptism is so special. Because it's the decision where you finally go, I get it. I get it. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. That's why we say at baptism not, Drew Mines is Lord. We say Jesus is Lord. That's the power of that sentence. That's the power of that statement. And, and this is where we get true freedom in Christ. Is that you don't have to have a good track record to feel good about yourself. You don't have to have this perfect vision of marriage and success. And, you know, I feel that. Like, I feel like, man, we're, you know, looking around Charlottesville. Like, I got to have the, the nice car. Or people look at me different. I got to have a nicer house. Or people, you know, aren't going to think I'm doing well. I got I to gotta excel. I got to be this, 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 and this. I got to look good. I'm making that same mistake. I'm making it about myself. But we have to learn that this isn't about ourselves. Jesus chooses a reformed mental, mental patient, a woman, not a leader of the community, a servant, someone part of the service team, doesn't get much accolades, someone we don't even know much about, someone with a host of demons that used to reside in her. She probably had a lot of struggles, guys. She probably had a lot, quote unquote, wrong with her. But Jesus chooses her to be the first. As we move on throughout today and throughout this year, I want to encourage us to take a good hard look at the resurrection. What's so special about this is that everything about this, there's nothing to brag about here if you're like trying to make this a super popular new religion. Uh, you know, in, fact, in fact, this religion was made fun of as a religion for fools because you're going to believe a hysterical woman. You're going to believe people, you know, you're going to believe in resurrection. That's crazy. And so even as today, we can kind of shirk at that idea of April Fool's Day. All it does is remind me that this is not about us. This is not about our intellect. 
This is not about our wisdom and our perception. And I've gathered the data, and now I've decided to make the business exchange of salvation. Um, <laughs> this is not about that. It's not about you. This is about Jesus, and are you willing to have Jesus intervene in your life? You cannot increase your own faith. You've got to have help for that. You've got to have Jesus come into your life. You know, what, you know when he does that? You know how he does that? He's doing it right now. He's doing it right now. He's doing it every time you decide to open your Bible in the morning. He's doing it every time you decide to call somebody and pray over the phone. He's doing it every time you interact with the text. Every time you're reminded of something you read in the Bible about Jesus and his life. He's calling your name. It's personal. And if we can understand that, church, nothing can touch us. If we can understand that, we have such a great life to look forward to. This is not like anything else. This whole interaction is just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Every time you, you expect Jesus to come and get her, he doesn't. He's there for her. He's merciful. And as we close out today, let's remember that faith is rational. Faith is impossible. But faith, faith is also personal and wonderful. And if we can understand that and go about this today, I encourage all who are visiting, even if you're not from here, get somebody's phone number before you leave. Get somebody's phone number and at least have a conversation about today. Have a conversation. doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years and you feel like, I am good to go. I don't care what that young whippersnapper said up there. I am solid. Man, I know stuff. Or if you're here for the first time and you're a skeptic, you're an atheist and you're saying, I don't believe any of that. Have a conversation about it. Discuss it. Go after the rationale. Go after the idea of asking God for intervention. Ask God to help. Actually say that. God, help me. God, help me see you. It's the worst that could happen. If he's not there, nothing's going to happen, right? But what's the worst thing about asking God for intervention? Asking God for help. And I want to challenge us as we close out today to listen to Jesus' words in John 12. We have to follow him. He's going to go first, right? But what does he do? He dies and he's transformed. He dies and he's transformed and he bears much fruit. Mary Magdalene is that fruit. The apostles are that fruit. But Jesus bears much fruit because he chooses to die. And unless the seed dies, that seed becomes nothing. That seed can be there and keep itself or it can die and bear much fruit. And we all enjoy that. We all enjoy that a seed dies and becomes much fruit. But right now is a time of year in spring when we can experience that. When something dies and bears much fruit. So let's go after that together. Let's not make this about us. And let's remember that today is about the resurrection of the Son of God. Amen. It's God be the glory. I did something um, a little, I did something a little um, gimmicky, so please forgive me. But uh, underneath four seats, uh, there's a surprise. So if you want to look uh, underneath your seat, there's something. Uh, and it's relevant. Hey, Bobby got one. What would you get, Bobby? We got... Carrots and green beans and there's two more. Anything? No? There's two more? Hot pepper for Edison. And is there one more? Four? We're missing one? There's one more out there. But I guess you can find it. But I wanted to give these seeds out. And my challenge is to plant these things, okay? And to have, now if you don't have a garden, give them to Rashawn Smith or Will Schaefer or somebody who has a garden. But my challenge is when, this, when the fruit comes to enjoy a meal together with other friends or disciples. Okay? Amen. And uh, we'll close with a final song.